Welcome to Marsha's Plate, a black trans-inclusive feminist podcast. A place where we know that not everybody is invited to the cookout. And we also know that every single day is a brand new day and we have the power to make a difference today. So let's do this. Brand new day, brand new day, make it better than yesterday. You can always find a way to turn it all around again. It's a new day, brand new day, make it better than yesterday. You can always find a way to start over again. When the sunrise, you can You can make it better than yesterday. A new day, it's a new day. New day, there's a way. You can turn it around. Trust me, there's a way out. There's more time. Just don't give up. When the sunrise, you can make If you want to join the conversation, you can hashtag Marsha's Plate. You can follow us on most social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of that. Just search for Marsha's Plate, M-A-R-S-H-A-S-P-L-A-T-E. Y'all ready? Let's get started. Hey, what's up, y'all? Hey. Hey, what's your tea, honey? Nothing much. I am feeling amazing. I went to um, the Galleria today, and it was pretty packed. It was a bunch of people in there. That's the mall? The yeah. Mm-hmm. The men, I don't know, today it was packed over there. Like, the boys was out. <laughs> so I tipped over there right. like, hey, what's going on over here? <laughs> wow. Wow. It's the summer, honey. Yeah, it's the summer. So they was out. They had a hoochie daddy short song. Honey, they are out, baby. Legs and hips and body, body, body. Baby, they were out. A lot of hoochie daddies. Yes, they were out, baby. And what did y'all do this weekend? You know, I didn't really do too much this weekend. I took some walks because you know that's my jam. I like to walk and just really been doing stuff around the house. It rained mm. a little bit finally here, which was nice. It rains a lot in the Pacific Northwest region, <laughs> but it hasn't been raining, so it was it was kind of refreshing to get, get a little bit of rain and you know cool things down a little bit. Let me ask y'all something: What y'all mama, what y'all mama call little um, stuff that is like little decorative stuff that uh, uh that's sitting around your house? Yours call them knickknacks. What's yours call me? Uh? It's something country. I know it is. <laughs> I don't know. I know it's country. I can't think of it, but it's country. <laughs> my, my, my mama, my mama and grandma and shit, they call them um, doodads and whatnots. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I have heard doodads. I have heard doodads. I have heard knickknacks too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so funny to me. You say, oh, so country. And I know, Diamond, your people, our people both from Mississippi. And uh, I was talking to my dad recently and he was saying that, you know, he's from Chicago, so he's from the city. And when he first came to Milwaukee and he still feels this way, Milwaukee's very towny. He was like, uh-huh. it was so country. It's like urban country. You know, <laughs> like, you know, people still had pigs and, you know, 
uh, chickens and stuff in the yard, you know, in the 70s. And he was like, yeah. stunk in the, in the city because they weren't doing it's that. It's 2022. And I walked outside my apartment and these people got a fucking chicken chained up on no. their porch in my apartment right now. I said, oh, no, I got to move because oh, so girl, it's you oh, oh, they play it too if they play oh, too many games, you could literally the, the chicken was sitting outside, not on a chain, on, the, on a chain at night. I was not like, what coop. the fuck is that? Not in a coop, on a chain, chained to their little um pillar. No, no, dude. What is it chained to? It's like, what? Is, how is it chained? <laughs> is it chained to his like leg or neck or so? Like, how it's, is it chained? Yes, chained around the neck. No. What the hell? Now they let they let they have chicken coops out here. They it's legal. Actually, that's how we got on that topic with my dad. But like, chain to the neck. <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah, right it's now. I don't know. Let me look at the picture. No, it's not to the neck. It's to the feet. Here we go. I took a picture of it. Still, damn. Oh wait, I'm by his leg. That, oh, yeah, it's on his leg, and it's it's like they don't stuck something, stuck something un uh, nah, around dude. the little pole. I was no. like, oh, but we are in no. an apartment in the middle of the city. No. I expect this at the in the country, but right. in the middle of the city, girl, I was like, oh, Texas, Texas going to be country regardless if it's a city or not. That's wild, though. Like, that is crazy. Especially at an apartment. Like, come on, homie. Like, <laughs> other people live here. That probably is. I was in real auntie mode. You know, I put on Noah's Ark both seasons and just was like, you know, having a little drink. Come on, Noah's Ark. Uh, <laughs> that that's so faggy dyke of you. Thank you. <laughs> well, you know, at, well, you know, I have to I have to get up to date with the language because, you know, we had the conversation a while ago and I was like, oh, yeah, transsexual. We don't use that anymore. That's not appropriate. Apparently. So why isn't it appropriate? And it's kind of falling out of. Uh, it's not socially the norm. Like it seems too medical for a lot of people, too uh, clinical for some people around identity. I, that's, that's been, but that's, that's not that's, us, Mia. We will. Yeah. Okay. No, no, exactly. But that's what I'm saying. Exactly. Right to your point. Right. And so I figured the way to modernize, but that's in the context, so people get it, is that I'm a genderqueer trans man. Okay, mm. so that I don't know if that makes more that makes more sense. That's more politically yeah. correct. That's more politically correct. <laughs> and because I wasn't using transsexual, I think it got mired and confusing for a lot of people, not just the listeners, but just other people moving out of a place that I used to be in the Midwest, where it's a little bit easier to have that conversation because, you know, regions are different. And so, yeah, so that's basically it, because, yeah, that makes more sense. I think so you was in your up to date. <laughs> I butch auntie bag. <laughs> okay. Because because Jonathan LJ has always been LJ, right? And the only person that, you know, mama just the only person that really had a problem with. It. Everybody else kind of got it before and after. It's just a different shell that I'm in. Uh mm-hmm. in my interpersonal life. So yeah. makes a total sense. What have you been mm-hmm. doing, Mia? Okay, so me and Z went to San Antonio for the first time. I've never been to San Antonio. Ooh, what? Uh, yeah, I've never been. Um Nice. Uh, we yeah we went to um Slitterbond first. What's that? Yeah, I was about to say the same. What's that? Slitterbond is a um uh one of the uh world's largest uh water parks in Texas. Wait, wait, wait. Slow it. Slay, say the name again. Just slow down saying it. Now don't ask me to spell it. <laughs> <laughs> Slitterbond. 
Slitter Bond. But it's not spelled that way. Oh. Slitter it's spelled like it sounds it's spelled like it's like German. it's German. Like yeah. it's German. Yeah. 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 Oh, Schlitter I don't Bond. talk about Schlitter Bond. I'm from Schlitter. It's a lot of Germans in, in Wisconsin. Schlitter Bond. Okay. <laughs> yep. It's so, um and it's a water park. Out. Yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's one of the lo- uh, um, world's largest water parks. Sickening in a swimsuit. Le- Turning it Listen, up. I had my, um, it was cute. I was I was a little nervous because y'all know I'm trans. <laughs> so are you I trans, Mia? Are you trans? Um, well, no, I, I just <laughs> what? Here, I can't believe you're there. <laughs> <laughs> in and out. But, <laughs> y'all know well yeah being trans and going to a water park it can be kind of weird because you got bird watchers you, you know what i mean like people looking between your legs women men so it was it was interesting but i had like um like a little mm, rasta kind of outfit like um it was a, a cute little top it was a bathing suit top and then the bottom was like a skirt but it was like netted so mm. i tried that because I didn't want to be I wanted to be comfortable and I know my body's a little extra and I didn't want to be uncomfortable around all those people who were just being extra so it made me feel comfortable and um we had we had a fun time we had we had a really good time I got on my shell I almost didn't go I almost went to the park with a full face of makeup and to I the water park? Yeah. I know I know I was like <laughs> You're gonna look so out of place at the water park, and everybody is barefaced in the water, and you sitting there with eyelashes on, eyeliner, and a full face of makeup. <laughs> <laughs> so they talked me out of it. So I had I, I got in my comfort zone. I had a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, after we went to Slitterbine, we went to um, the Riverwalk, which was so. I was gonna beautiful. ask you, yeah. yeah, yeah, it was so beautiful. It's one of the um. The tourist attractions in San Antonio, and that's what it gives. It gives like very tourist vibes. They have all, all these like um restaurants nice. around the river. Yeah. Also, oh, you've been before, Diamond. I've been uh, uh, when I was married. I went there. Um, the first time I ever went to San Antonio was with my ex husband, and it tons of beautiful lights, tons of restaurants. And I went there um a, a couple of years back, maybe like five or six years back. A trans girl got killed at the Riverwalk. So, at the Riverwalk, what the yeah, hell? Yeah, at the Riverwalk, yes. Uh, but anyway, I don't want to change the tone of the because conversation. The, but yes, it no. is beautiful, it is romantic, yeah. and it, it looks great. I think the restaurants make you feel like, oh, I'm, I'm I'm doing something cute with my boo. It's the water, it's the light, especially at night. Y'all went at night, right? Oh, yeah. Yes. We, we, went at, we went at night because we were at the water park during the daytime. Got me a cute little hand. And then we went to the... um. The room walk afterwards really nice. The boats had like neon lights underneath them, and yeah. it was packed full of people. Oh, and the atmosphere was so was so different. I kept telling Z about this. Like it was so multicultural. Where like I was kind of taken aback by how nice everybody was. Like how nice the white people were. <laughs> and I, I don't know if it was like being super performative, but they were like. Everybody was chill. I didn't get like the microaggressions that I usually get here in Texas, in Houston with white mm-hmm. folks. So that was a good part. But anyways, I had a good time. Got me a little tan and we came back. Oh, his mm. birthday was on the 30th. So we tried birthday. to. What, 31st. So we nice. tried to like do that for him too. 
What's another place you go next time you go? This is it. This is if you like history shit, go to the Alamo. At least go one. Oh, we did go to the Alamo. Okay, girl, the Alamo was high boots. It was it was outside. It was free though. It was free. I learned a little bit, but baby, when I tell you, woo, it it was it's something to explore. But I was I it was hot. It was hot. Boots it was hot. Yeah, it yeah. was hot. Um, and go to the haunted tracks. There is a place that you could if you into shit like that. There's some haunted tracks where in the. 20s, I think 1920s. I don't know. I, I don't want to quote wrong, but there was a school bus that got um hit by a train. Oh, that's great. Across <laughs> this. <laughs> oh, sorry to bring all the death to the conversation. <laughs> but it's it's historic. It's been featured on different like haunting shows. So mm. you know, if you into stuff like that, and I'm witchy like that, so I be into stuff. Um, Baby, you know, you know, I stay away from girl. I don't play with spirits, baby. No, but yes, it's it, if you the 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 um <laughs> the um the legend is if you put your car in neutral, the kids' spirits will push your car over the track so you don't get oh, hit no. by the train. Oh, girl. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm good. Tell me how it goes. You know what I'm saying? No, ma'am. We always take some spirits home with y'all. You think we're the kids. I'm going to show you what a kid is. I'm going to come to you. I'll wait till y'all look at me. Honey, for some reason... Uh-uh. Your car, when you put it in neutral, you know it's not supposed to go up hills. It'll dry, it'll roll down. Yeah. But right. for some reason, in this in over that track, if you put your car in neutral, it will push you up over the tracks. Woo. I don't know why, but it's a it's a strong <laughs> chop for me. Mm. <laughs> I, I don't say candy man or none of that shit. Excuse my language. I don't know that. <laughs> Maybe nope. I'll have to go get um some holy water once I get back into the <laughs> Not the holy water. Let's the house. So I bring the sage. Okay. <laughs> Shout out to San Antonio folks. We love y'all city. It is fun in San Antonio. If you just want to look, get away from um Dallas or get away from um Houston, go ahead and check and 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 not be in no damn Austin because they gentrifying the fuck out of Austin. But <laughs> but if you want, you know, go to San Antonio. Don't miss. I know we always talk about Austin, Houston, and Dallas, but the fourth city in Texas is San Antonio. And it's a beautiful city. So shout out to it anybody, who, uh, one of our listeners that is from San Antonio. We love y'all. Yes, we do. Y'all, and we, know, and we know we know that it's BS about the Alamo too. So don't don't come up. With us. Like we, we know that's we know. a white mythical mess. <laughs> You're listening to Houston's own MP Trans 101. Now listen, I know that what is basic Trans 101 for me just be the beginning for you so this is for your basic ass basic for me in this life could be just the beginning for you So 
it is pride season. So, you know, all the media entities are doing pride content. So ABC's Soul of a Nation is doing a pride event called Pride to be seen and it is on hulu it is it played on abc tonight thursday nine central i watched it and you know they're gonna rerun it or you can go on hulu and watch it if you got hulu and watch it again but they featured yours truly diamond styles and it was so amazing they treated me so 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 good um the the hotel was amazing. The flight was amazing. I'm a plus size woman, so I requested a first class ticket and they did it without any resistance. Thank you for accommodating that. <laughs> but the producers, uh, uh, the host, just uh, Juju Chan, Carrie, Tin. Tony, everybody who was behind the scenes making it, making the lighting great because I look fucking fabulous. The lighting was great. Everything was popping. Ah, the little shots, the, the slow-mos. Oh, everything was fabulous. Yes. I loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. Y'all made me feel like a queen finally being able to um, share some of my story and my journey on that kind of platform. I Usually people bring me on as an expert to talk about all the statistics and, you know, my expertise in the field, but not really tell my story. So this is the first time that actually happened. So I really appreciate it. And child, they found footage of me from high school, like old school footage before any kind of surgery, child. <laughs> Just a little hormone in my body, child. I was looking quite bricky, but it was a groundbreaking nostalgic moment. I didn't think they were gonna, um, I knew they could find the footage, but I didn't know if they were gonna attempt to find it or not, but they did and popped me, honey. I saw it on screen was like, yeah. <laughs> it was such a nostalgic moment, it brought back so many memories of that time when I sued my high school to go to the prom in a gown. It was like, oh, I, I did that. Not that I forgot, but it, seeing it just brought back the memories of it and the nostalgia and the pride of actually, you know, that pivotal moment in my life that kind of sparked me being an activist, that sparked me having that youthful, rebellious spirit go on throughout even my adulthood. So it just brought back all those memories and all that feelings of pride. So thank you for bringing that and showing that. It was amazing. I wasn't the only one featured. There were trans high schoolers that are going to this amazing LGBT high school that I really, really think is amazing and love. <laughs> I think it's so, so cute. And smack dab in the middle of Alabama so they can be safe. And oh my God, it just, oh my God, they featured a, a UPS trans man. I thought that was amazing. They had an amazing conversation between queer guys talking about um, showing up in the world. There was a trans man. There was a gay man. There was a couple of gay men and a non-binary person. So athletes. It was just, they just was having an amazing conversation. And our black lesbian uh, first uh, uh, sec press secretary of the United States. Oh my God. Oh, they just, it just so many features, so many, um, just they show the history of drag and history of ballroom. It just so much. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. If y'all have time tonight, check it out on Hulu. It is out. And yeah, it is just a lot of amazing pride, joyful moments. It's some sad moments, not about death, but just, um, 
you know, not sad. That's not the right word. The, 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 you know, those kind of happy tears that you feel when somebody says something amazing and accepting and affirming, those kind of things. So it's a lot of those moments. So it's Trans 101, <laughs> but, you know, it's a start and it's a celebration. And so go celebrate with me. Check it out. Watch it. And thanks again, ABC. And this is Trans 101. Oh my God, I want to thank all of our new patrons this week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yay, 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 yay. So not only are you helping to sustain this particular podcast, you know, I also donate to other podcasts. I donate to other organizations. I have my finger on the post of the community and I know a lot of grassroots organizations that are doing great work out here so you're not only helping to sustain us you're helping to sustain other people in a community because I put my money where my mouth is you know that's just the kind of bitch I am community is fuck (laughs) so thank you I really really appreciate you and if you have not become a patron why have you not? You can donate as low as a dollar a month. It doesn't matter. Anything helps. Please. Do I have to play Sarah McLaughlin and show you puppies? Like, what do I have to do? Do I have to do resort to what the white people do to get you to give them money? <laughs> All righty. Anyway, thank y'all. And the Patreon and PayPal link is at the bottom. Back to the show. All right. So we know that. During this time of Pride Month, we are going to hear a lot about Stonewall and um, what happened with the people of Stonewall. You know, this is when our namesake, Marsha P. Johnson, start popping up and Sylvia Rivera. And if, you know, if they really trying to be inclusive <laughs> and not ignorant, they'll bring up Stormy. Maybe. You you lucky if you find right. a place that's going to throw Stormy. <laughs> <laughs> no shame. You, you, you lucky. <laughs> you know you really in some, you know, folks who do their research and they throw Stormy in there. But anyway, so this is a time that we um um and also if they tell you that Marsha showed up late to what was happening <laughs> at Stonewall. <laughs> I know the legend is that she threw the first brick and da 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 da, but she actually is on record saying that she actually she she was there but she came late because she didn't know what shit was the shit was popping off <laughs> but once she got there it was on and popping but you know she had came late because she wasn't actually there but anyway <laughs> that's a did you know right <laughs> so that but we you've heard it here but anyway I, I i think it's really important for us for us to talk about some of the things and events that happen before Stonewall, I think one of the reasons why Stonewall is such a is such a pivotal scene as a pivotal moment in Pride history. One of the reasons I think is because it happened in New York. There were tons of things that happened before Stonewall that didn't get the same kind of notoriety, but because Stonewall happened in New York, and New York is, you know, arguably the city of the world one of the cities of the world but definitely the city of the united states (laughs) you know figuratively uh, i know washington dc is 
the capital of the United States, right? But actually, you know, if we're talking about culture creating, um, you know, just the forward going city, you gotta, you know, you gotta consider it to be New York, I think, or, mm-hmm. unless you're ridiculous. <laughs> I'm being ridiculous. Yeah. That doesn't take away from the specialness of LA, Chicago, um, San Francisco, Atlanta, Miami, blah, blah, all these places, but New York is fucking New York, so don't play. <laughs> we know what it is. <laughs> no shame. No shame. And because of that, I think that is one of the reasons why Stonewall became this, like, ooh, this moment. It's gonna, of course, they're gonna showcase what happened in New York because it's New York and it's important and, and you know, and um, it's, that's just what it is. But I, th- I think it's important to talk about the things that happen and list and showcase some of the things that happened before um, what happened in New York. Let's talk about some of the ones that um, I know of personally, and you might know some in your own city, and we want you to share it with us. So hashtag Marsha's Plate. If you know something that happened in your own city, share it with us, because I'm a history buff. I want to know. I want to know what happened. I want to learn about what happened, so let us know. So if we miss something, definitely let us know. So one of the um, earlier ones is the Cooper Donuts Riot in L.A., um, 1959. It was a full decade before Stonewall. Police faced an angry crowd when they tried to round up gay men and trans women and the drag queens and all the hustlers that was in the area who frequent this late night coffee shop. As had been before, officers entered the um, the Coopers demanding identifications. This is what they would do. They would just come in and harass queer people because they the fucking laws and we know how the laws is. But this is also one of the things there's a conversation that you might um, you might not understand or you might be getting whisper about most progressive people when they when they're talking about pride celebrations. We actually don't be wanting the police at our pride celebrations because yeah. we know the history of police officers and how they literally were fucking bothering and harassing us and arresting us and sexually assaulting us and beating us and doing all of these things this was the history of the police those were the ones who were harassing us and so them coming to now our celebrations and being in 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 fucking uniform that type of shit just doesn't feel right it doesn't sit right it doesn't feel cool so some people say and make it a rule that police are not invited here now what happens is LGBT police officers will complain. They want to keep the privilege of being a police officer, but they want to be acknowledged as a LGBT person. I should be able to come to Pride. Yes, you can. Come in your regular clothes as your regular self. Why do you need to come to Pride in your police officer uniform? Why do you need to do that? What's the point? <laughs> if you're proud of being LGBT, just come on your on your off day. Come on the off time. Why you need to come in your badge and blues? What's the point? And so you'll hear that conversation um, a lot kind of whispered around this time of why are police coming to pride? And so I just want to kind of add that. But anyway. (laughs) Um, So the police will come into Cooper's and demand identification if um, a customer's gender, gender presentation didn't match what was on their ID, they would take them to jail. They would attempt to arrest several customers, including um, this this guy named John Reshi, who 
who recounted the instance, who recounted the incident on multiple occasions. Um, and so because they were just harassing the people, it just and they had been doing this. And usually at this time, because this is in the 50s and 40s and, and 60s during this time, we didn't we had nowhere near the rights of that we have now. Not at all. They literally right. were running. They literally were running ads on <laughs> on the show on, on TV that was calling us pedophiles. Let me play one of those ads. Oh, that's not new that. No. <laughs> the decision is always yours and your whole future may depend on making the right one. So no matter where you meet a stranger, be careful if they are too friendly. They try to win your confidence too quickly, and if they become overly personal. One never knows when the homosexual is about. He may appear normal, and it may be too late when you discover he is mentally ill. So keep with your group, and don't go off alone with strangers, unless you have the permission of your parent or teacher. So, this is a long Wait a minute. <laughs> so wait, that was wait. The message. This is wow. it's a long ass 10 minute. I'm gonna put it in our show notes. It's a long ass 10 minute commercial that goes through these scenarios of the homosexuals preying on children. And this is a commercial that they play on TV in the 50s <laughs> that says, you know, they are predators, they are mentally ill, they have a sickness right. that you just can't see. And that homosexuals gather in the bathrooms. <laughs> it is horrible. Girl. It is horrible. But this was the norm. In that red scale scare era, too. Yes. You know, now they do gather in the bathroom. <laughs> but they don't be they don't be praying on well. I don't have any experience, but from what I see on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> when you have this level of um hate and this level of stigma people are going to find ways to um, do what they do. And so, yes, there's going to be, they're going to be, there have been places and actually what's crazy in the UK back in this time, <clears throat> there were no laws against homosexuality between women. It actually was perfectly legal for women to practice homosexuality, but it was illegal for men to practice homosexuality in the UK. That was, was a weird act. That was a weird ass law. Was it there? Was the was there a rule explicitly saying it was okay for women, or was it just a rule banning that was specific to men? Because that yeah. could just be what it is all the time, which is oh, that's not real. You're a woman. Like <laughs> so, <laughs> that it you just wasn't on there. the books. Yeah, it just wasn't on the books. Yeah. But there was a yeah. law on the books that said the boys could not have sex, or you can get go to jail. Whereas the girls, people. it <laughs> right. wasn't. It wasn't on the book saying it is okay. It just wasn't on the book saying that it was illegal. Mm, so they couldn't go to jail. <laughs> That's not the law. Right. Patriarchy, 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 right. of course, and the yeah. still. And, and the male gaze being okay with female homosexuality when it's for them, <laughs> not because it's, it's not real, right? It's still not real. It's, it's a, it's, as long as it's for the male gaze, they cool, right? And so the riot started, and it spread into the streets. Police backed up 
blocks of off of Main Street in L.A. arrested more protesters. The incident is considered one of the first LGBT uprisings in the United States. And that was the Cooper's Donut Riot in L.A. 1959. Um, let's talk about the picket at Whitehall Street Induction Center in New York in 1964. In what believed to be the first organized demonstration for gay rights, protesters picketed the U.S. Army building at 39 Whitehall Street in downtown New York, which has been a armed force examination and interest station since 1986. The group led by Randy Wicker and a member of the Freedom League, Sexual Freedom League, demonstrated against the military discrimination policies, discriminatory policies, and the outing of homosexual men rejecting them for service. It would be 47 years before the United States government lifted the ban of gays and lesbians in the military in 2011. Echo, the Echo White House demonstra demonstration in D.C. April the 17th, 1965. Less than a dozen demonstrators picketed the White House in the first in a series of actions conducted by the East Coast homophile. That's another thing. That word is like transsexual homophile <laughs> is not used anymore. We don't use homophile in the language when we talk about um, being gay. But at this time in 1965, it was um, it was the word um, East Coast homophile organization <laughs> Echo in 1965. The following day. Echo member protested outside the United Nations over the treatment of homosexuals in Cuba and the United States. Echo demonstrated that that spring took place in front of the Pentagon and the state park. So this was a, a bunch of demonstrations in D.C. On May 24th, Armed Forces Day, 35 people walked a second picket line at the White House protesting the exclusions of homosexuals from the military. The dishonorable discharge given to those who were discovered to be homosexuals and continued refusal by the Department of Defense, Army, Navy, Air Force to meet with spokesmen from the homosexual community to engage in constructive discussions of the policy and procedures at issues. All right, let's talk about the Council of Religion and the Homosexual Ball in San Francisco, January 1st, 1965. Um, established in 1964 to foster a dialogue between clergy and gay. Mm -hmm. um, honey, that tons of dialogue happening. Might be behind closed doors, but the clergy love to <laughs> talk to the young homosexual boys. They love talking to them. Um, the Council of Religion and the Homosexual held a lavish ball at San Francisco's California Hall on New Year's Day, 1965. The group had worked diligently to follow municipal code and even told the SFPD, San Francisco police, about the party. Police were dissuaded from pressuring the hall to cancel the party, but they showed up with... I don't know how to say this word. <laughs> Clegg lights. I don't know what kind of lights that are. <laughs> and cameras to snap photos of attendees, including clergymen and their wives. Officer also repeatedly entered the venue under the, the guise of making an inspection. When attorneys retained from such an eventual challenge, police intrusion of the private event, they were arrested. The ticket takers at the front door was also picked up as two were male guests. 
The next morning, clergy leaders held a press conference decrying the police harassment of homosexuals. Their public action, this is kind of cool that it was some church people that was doing this. <laughs> that was like, you know, um, against yeah. the, um, the public action inspired San Francisco gay rights movement. And if we know San Francisco now, <laughs> we know that they have a tons of LGBT structure in regards to build off of that le that leads to people like Honey Mahogany running for um, office, a trans um, non-binary person running for office now, you know, leaders like Arya Saeed, um, leaders like um, all the leaders in, in the organization that led to this kind of progressive and stronghold of LGBT rights there in San Francisco. All right, the Dewey lunch counter sit-in in Philadelphia in April 25th, 1965. Dewey was a chain of hamburger joints in Philadelphia, and the location near Rittenhouse Square was a popular gathering spot for young queer people. But after an encounter with rowdy, gender nonconforming teens, employees begin to refuse service to any customer they believe to be gay or who otherwise challenge gender norms. 150 people were refused service at the eatery. Working in conjunction with a local gay rights group called the Janet Society, three teenagers walked into Dewey's that day and staged a sit-in. The demonstration and Janet Society president Clark Polk, who had come down to help, were soon arrested and charged with disorderly conduct. I wonder where they got that tactic from. What'd you say, Diamond? That's what we're about to get into. We know where they got that tactic from. <laughs> they got that tactic from the civil rights movement, which was architected by multiple black people, including queer people, <laughs> including <Sorry>. homosexuals. <laughs> so the black homosexuals, the black queer people, the black gender nonconforming people had already been doing these kind of tactics so oh the the queers the the you know the other queers is like hmm, if the black gay negroes are doing this and it's kind of working what if we came together and do this too let's do this over in this situation we know this is what we're doing over here towards black rights but why can't we play this same game over here when it comes to queer and of course, there is the overlap because black and queer people exist. And so, right. of course, that inner that right. inner that inner exchange, that's osmosis of these cultures is going to happen from us. <laughs> and we're going to say, hey, we know how to do this. We're doing this over here and we're going to do it over here. And so it's going to lead to these types of actions and protests and those tactics being shared between us because we are a part of both of these groups. We are a part of the queer group and we are part of the black group. So, of course, there's going to be an exchange. And this is where they would get those kind of tactics from. They arrested a lot of them. And in the wake of the arrest, there was like tons. They started put, bringing out leaflets. Um, a week after the initial um, demonstration, another smaller sit-in took place. The police arrived. But this time, there were no arrests. And Dewey stopped denying service to people who appeared homosexual. They said we stayed there as long as we wanted as the police had no authority to ask us to leave. We established <laughs> that they cannot tell us to leave and not not service us. And so this was kind of like the stone wall of Philadelphia. <laughs> uh -huh. Uh -huh. All right. Then we have 
the Independence Hall annual reminder in Philadelphia. This is July the 4th, 1965. It's interesting to see all of these dates. It's what was happening, all these major things happening with, um, with Black rights were happening alongside of all these major things happening with queer people. You get what I'm saying? Now, because of respectability politics, the Black stuff was, of course, getting more and more, um, you know, visibility in regards to being um, covered in newspapers, covered in, on television, blah, 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 blah. But the queer stuff was happening simultaneously. So I want you to, I want it to be very clear that while this is not a competition, I don't want to say that because I'm Black and queer. So I, I'm invested in both of those fights. But because homosexuals, and I'm saying that as kind of a, a, a homogenizing of all of us, because at the time, that's what it was fucking, that's what it was. We just got to have these separate <laughs> entities, this LGBT, da, 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 where we are, we were able to have the, uh, the language to separate us from all of them. But in this time, we were not separate. Trans, gender nonconforming, blah, 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 they all was homosexuals to them. <laughs> Everybody was gay. And they Everybody was today. gay. It's an ignorant people, like, yes. Yeah, when you talk to them about it, they'd be like, Well, what's the difference? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but now it's a if for somebody who read books and listen to us, <laughs> we there's a little bit more language to separate it. And so, but back then it was, you know, this is the homosexual movement. But when it comes to black folks, because there was you can't hide your skin. I, I want to make that very, very clear. You cannot hide your skin. You can hide being a homosexual as much as you can. You get what I'm saying? Some people are better than others, but there are some sure. people who are, who, who it's easier. They can, they can have, and we talked about this when it comes to passing and, and blending in with society. And I think one of the reasons why our, the queer, when I say our, I'm talking about the queer side, why our fight did not go as fast and, and to the speed that we um, that we saw the civil rights movement happening is because respectability politics and a lot of us were adhering to the blending. We were adhering to the assimilation strategy. Let's be just like them. Let's be let's be exactly like them. We were not forced to buck up against the system in the same way a black person. If we want to get rights and we want to get respected, we can't hide our skin. So it, it's more in your face and urgent for us to push up against this system as a black person because we can't hide. And so we have. So if you're not letting us buy these white people pies, these white only pies, <laughs> because we black, <laughs> we can't we can't blend into society and get and buy some pies. You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. No. Mm -hmm. So it, it it made it more urgent for black people to continue to fight and continue to do and it and obvious for us to actually buck up against that system where it took a while for the numbers of queer people to get up who were willing to say, I am a homosexual. I am a person who I should have my rights. It took a minute for us to actually come together and stop being invested in that assimilation strategy for us to come together in, in, in a group. Cause there was tons of us. We, we saw that on polls. It was tons of us who were willing to throw the rest of us under the bus. If we weren't passing, 
I'm not that kind of gay. And we see that that the remnants of that now. I'm not that kind of gay. I'm not that feminine. I'm not that um I'm not two snaps <laughs> in a Z formation kind of gay. I'm the and more also, in time. The gays wasn't on board with the transsexual uh trans people at one point. We weren't even allowed in their bars. You were extreme. You were too extreme. We want mm -hmm. you to be normal mm -hmm. like us. We want we mm -hmm. we the best kind of homosexual was the homosexual that looks and acts straight. Right. that's what that was the right. that was the that was the name of the game if you can go and not be that kind of weird old kind of faggot then oh you can get respect it was mm -hmm. a it was a simulation strategy but mm -hmm. trans people have that same attitude you you only can get respect if you can pass as a cis person now i was just thinking too like you know i think for a lot of white gay people a lot of white gay and lesbian people at that time, especially in the 50s and the 60s, because they had a target on their back, that put some pressure too, because you had all these folks who were white folks who were working in the State Department, working for the US government, working in these jobs. So this is the first time that the folks, because, you know, with any Speak on it, political, come on. you know, movement, right, usually that's still going to be centered around the folks who have the most. The middle class folks with the best i mean even when we talk the about this yeah i mean when we talk about the civil rights movement even though the people that were out in the streets were domestic workers and folks who had to sacrifice the most and had the most quote-unquote skin in the game what was projected to the rest of this country was middle class clean black people in their suits and their sunday's best because they knew they had to have that as the strategy to get to be taken seriously right. and the same thing when we look at this situation is that pressure from 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 uh the the, the pink scare right folks targeting middle class white people who got stability who were gay and that kind of put that they were forced to be involved because to your point right diamond and, and me is like folks you know they didn't want to be a, you know those extreme people that ain't us i got my i got my job i got my benefits i got my pension i got and i'm, I'm not lady. rocking that i'm not rocking that boat Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I just want to name that, too, because like and even with in terms of expression, a lot of with all, all of this, too, is centered in the, the white, uh, a white centric uh, social structure around gender, around what's socially acceptable, around what's normal, because, you know, for folks who grew up in, in black church prior to faith based initiative <laughs> and everybody was like extra on the gay stuff, you know, you have plenty of homosexual men were clearly homosexuals based on their gender expression we would associate with some faggotry and no one would say anything because they just playing the piano and the, and the guy got the perm he drive his pink cadillac and it just is what it is james cleveland is just is what it is and that's different you know as black we have a different governance structure within our community around gender than the white dominant social structure around gender because it's not they don't they don't there is no it's a it's a little different i just want to name that like it's a little different for us too in terms of what we you know consider uh to norms but yeah but i just want awesome name yeah like like these white folks are getting messed with you know um, and they never have had the understand that their white privilege exactly uh, the gay white people their white privilege because they were white they were benefiting from being white they could be yep. more than maids they could be Sign more they could be women. right they they could be more than other marginalized racial or um entities they could be mm -hmm. more but as soon more as, seriously yeah. exactly but soon as their homosexuality was found out they were actually feeling 
what it may be like <laughs> to be other people who were pushed out. And this was the first time that they were getting effects similar to being racially discriminated, gender discriminated, all these kind of Listen, things. And to your point, you got to if you're going to have a collective situation, eventually, you know, like you said, leading up to Stonewall, all these different events, like you're going to have to have more people. Most of the homosexuals don't have good jobs. Most of the homosexuals that you don't need to show up at your rally, right? Or to get involved beyond, you know, once this, you know, expands, whatever, a movement level, you know, you have to get the ragtag folk that you aren't even trying to mess with to eventually to just to have the numbers. Right. You know? Perform. Also, shit. Also, mm. shit. So, yeah. go ahead. No, I, I just wanted to say, I feel like, and all our different groups that we associate ourselves in, like whether it's a white group, black group, trans, queer, uh, lesbian, I think we all have like these ideas of what socially is acceptable in a classism type of way. Like what deems you to be the perfect lesbian if you're not, if you're not feminine or, or, or just yeah. or masculine or, 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 or if you are gay and you're, you're like, you can pass as being straight and we can go out as homeboys and I don't have to deal with none of that fairy stuff. Or mm. if you're a trans person, we, we can go out and, and we don't have to be clocked. I can be, I can just be, and I think there's so much, so much classism in, so in all our groups. And that's just one of them. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And you know, it, it, the more you look like the cisgender people, the more you, your expression is aligned with how cisgender people do it, the more acceptable you are. When we talk about lesbian, it, it was the butch masculine lesbians who were pressing the envelope. Not saying that femme lesbians don't, um, you know, don't play a part, but the ones who had this visual difference than how the women were supposed to act, it, it's a very different type of lesbian for you to tip around in a suit and tie and pants, especially around this era, 50s, 60s, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, for you to be tipping around like Gladys Bentley <laughs> in, in a suit and a tuxedo or pants and a suit and tie, this was very different than the lesbians who were tipping around like Doris Day, tipping yeah, around I mean in femininity. And to your point, by the time we get to the 50s and the 60s, Gladys Bentley is not dressing like that anymore. Right. <laughs> right. Because she has, go right. ahead. No, I'm just saying, you're right, because the it was a lot of it was a whole different era. It was a lot of stigma. Yeah, it was way more stigma at that a point. A lot Definitely. of things and a lot of tactics because what was happening in the same way that we see it now. All these things were coming up. So this is when they are going to try to have a backlash and put in these silly laws on top of the ones that were already there. Oh, we see y'all protesting. We see y'all doing this homosexual stuff. Oh shit, we finding out that y'all hooking up in the bathrooms. We finding out that y'all doing this. So now we're gonna have to make these laws to make y'all life even harder because we are against this mentally ill. We're against this, all this kind of stuff that we feel like it is wrong. But we're against gay. it. <laughs> Say it again. Damn, I said, but they was gay. Oh, amen. Oh, amen. <laughs> Come on. Was leading this shit. And <laughs> right. Projecting. Yes. So this is a great book that that, that talks about this is, is by um Eric Servini. I've been on his show. Um Eric Servini does this um this book called um one of his, his first book 
um Dr. Eric Savini, I love to make sure I call people by their um, academia stuff because they earned it. Um, Dr. Eric Savini, his book is called The Deviant Wars. Now, um, I think it's a great book. And it's it's very, this is a cis white gay male, but he give you tons of interesting perspective about what was happening during this time when it comes to J. Edward Hoover, FBI, and all the people hustling to be to be anti-homosexual and put all these rules and laws, how people couldn't get their pension, people were getting fired, people were just not doing, they were just fucking over the homosexuals. And destroying, yeah. and destroying people's lives. There was a whole, um, either a senator or a governor, I think it was a senator, that, was, that killed himself because his son <laughs> they were about to expose his son to be a homosexual. And because he wouldn't turn on his son, he killed himself before he would turn on his son. It's a whole senator. This is a real story. <laughs> killed himself because they were about to expose his son being a homosexual. He wasn't even a homosexual. So that's how bad it was. Because they mm-hmm. were trying to expect him to turn on his son, and he wasn't. He was like, I'll kill myself before I do this shit. Before I let y'all, before I let y'all um turn on my son. But anyway, I think Philadelphia was a really good um, example of like the the you know, you know the movie I'm talking about with Tom. I think his name is oh Tom. the movie mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Denzel Washington. Yeah, yeah, that was a really good example of um, some of the things that gay people went through. That's that was more about that was further in the, up 90s? In, in the like 80s and 90s yeah. when the, especially around homeless around um, AIDS mm-hmm. and HIV. Mm-hmm. But yes, it was. This is this time of. There was the, the nuance of this time was was quite amazing. I I feel, but the, the early 1900s between um, the first half of that century to me really really had a tons of nuances in what was acceptable and what wasn't. But because we were bucking up against the system, I feel like by the time we get to the 80s. By the time we get to the 70s and the 80s, I feel like they had learned how to suppress us. Yeah. At first, at first, at first, it was like, oh, we we don't know, we know, we don't know what to do about this stuff. And so we need to make the rules and the laws to adjust and and get respectable people on board with us. And so that's why we see the homosexuals really leading shit in the 60s okay when we, when it comes to the strategy to get right so the strategy to when we think about bayard rustin and everybody who was a part of the behind the scenes stuff that j edgar hoover and all the motherfuckers was like yo we exposed this motherfucker we know he a homosexual if you let him preach you let him i mean let him talk on the mic we gonna fucking expose this shit we only right. people who can we're letting ex- letting preach is motherfucking uh, the preacher you need to be wife kids husband you need to minister you need to be the respectable upstanding motherfuckers if you want us to let you get a say and that's the government doing that at first but by the time we get to the 80s it's not it's the black folks that they ain't even doing it when when they were trying to when audrey lord was supposed to come and speak in the 80s, at the 20th anniversary of this thing, mm-hmm. it was the black church who was saying, you are not respectable enough. That it, the black folk, the white folks didn't even need to do it no more. So by the 20 years later, it mm-hmm. is the our own people who is saying, nah, we got to cut that homosexual shit out. 
when before it was like maybe we should li- listen to the homosexuals they got some good strategy do, do you think and you so think, they got what they wanted but do you do you think that a part of that is because because i i do think a part of that is because w- when folks see the forefront it's an easy it's easy to go for it because they're like front facing i'm seeing mostly white people i think it's an easy excuse wrapped up in that to go after gay black gay folks and black queer and trans people around that gay movement stuff or that queer movement stuff or that trans movement stuff when they're approaching not us but the social structure gay people the social structure trans people and trying to have that conversation with us i mean i think it's bullshit but i'm just i'm wondering like your thought because you know what i mean because like no cause that's I the big difference respect- like the visibility i mean i'm not excuse i'm not saying it's not respectability but i'm just saying do you think that's a component of it i guess it's more so i think that when you give these motherfucking coons or these motherfucking um just anybody privilege based on respectability politics they mm-hmm. get uppity they mm-hmm. get uppity. You, be, you become uppity negroes or you become uppity Excellent. white gays like ooh, soon as if 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 i'm the special kind of gay person mm-hmm. because i can i'm educated i'm ivily and whatever kind of respectable shit that they can that they can get if i if and, and i'm getting privilege and i can be open and gay long as i'm adhering to these respectable ideals getting married doing all these things as long as i can do those things i think it puts them on a pedestal and i think sometimes mm-hmm. when you put people in res- based on respectability politics in pedestals that it's easy for them to feel power enough to look down on the people who can't oh yeah those things. for sure i think it's easy for church black people to look down on hood ghetto black people because the the status mm. quo has put them above us and it's easy when mm. people don't have power to use any little power that they have. We see it with men when it comes to the rest of us. We see it with black men. We see it with white women. Any yep. little power that they can have, they will use that and wield that power against us. And I think respectability politics put them in on that pedestal of the mm. status quo. And mm. it allows them, it allows the the um the man. <laughs> you know, it allows them to step back and let them right police yeah, I got you. Mm-hmm. Yep. and and yep. people who are in the political who are in that respectably on that respectability pedestal. It allowed them to police us in a way that keeps us down, and yep. we see that we see that t- twenty years later when they were trying to not get Audrey Lord to speak. Shout out to mm-hmm. Queer Walk for um do, doing a um a um and Nikita rest in peace doing the word about this a couple of couple of years ago um on, on Queer Walk they yes. went in details about how the black church didn't even want her to speak at this um mm-hmm. at this anniversary and then they wanted the brilliant minded writer extraordinaire Audrey Lord they wanted to write something for her bitch what uh, girl get out of here are you serious literally and the so church wanted to write something for? <laughs> exactly get the fuck out of here to go talk at stonewall 
No, to go talk at the this is they did an anniversary. Oh, at the I'm sorry, I, I was I thought you were talking. They about did another march, Stonewall. No, they did that's another why, that's march. That's why I was saying that. I was so confused. My bad. Okay. Yeah, no, that w- the march on Washington. Twenty years later, oh, they did another, the twenty years of that march. Yes, of that <laughs> march. Yes. <laughs> my I bad. There was, a, there was an anniversary march for Stonewall, so that's why I was like. Yeah, no, no, no. no. I, okay, I, my okay. bad. The okay. anniversary of of the March on Washington, twenty years yeah. later, in the eighties, uh, they had. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> they they like, the black church <laughs> was the organizers of this. The head organizers of this thing. Okay. So now, yeah. about twenty mm-hmm. years later, the you. respectable black church have been yeah. uplifted Boom. in political Boom. power. Yep. And so now they get to make the rules of who is expect who is acceptable to talk, right? Mm-hmm. When previously many people that were groundbreaking, like people don't talk about it enough, but I learned this in um in France. Um Josephine Baker was the headliner of that that march. Mm-hmm. It was not um Martin Martin Luther King was the local, but who brought the the boys to the motherfucking yard right. was Josephine Baker. Right. She was the celebrity, the fucking Beyonce of the time then. Right. And she right. came in her I uniform. So she was the <laughs> one who came to the state right. for that. And she brought the people, brought the people to the yard. And mm-hmm. so she was the headliner of that. If we if there was a headliner, she was the right. fucking headliner of the situation. Organizer being Bay arrested, her being a bisexual woman. You right. come saying so there was a little bit more diversity in the in the in the ranks, but 20 right. years later, that diversity had went down and turned into, oh, we got the church folks in power because they are the respectable ones that the status quo is gonna give more pedestal right. and give more power. And so it yep. leads to no homosexuals being represented. <laughs> so it actually got less diverse because they gave power to the respectable black people. Right. And so that's what you that to me, that's what usually that's what usually happens. Mm. They you give them a little bit of power and it takes us out of it takes it gives them the power to discriminate against us instead of it being the man, the white man. Because they don't have to do it no more. We can let the respectable Negroes do it to y'all because they're gonna do it. Because they want to keep this power and keep the status quo too. Listen, Montero didn't get no BET award nomination. On the note <laughs> Amen. About that respectability. Yep. Yes. Not one. So I, there's tons <clears throat> of other ones. I'm going to put a link to an article that gives a list of 10 pre-Stonewall. We only named a few. We, you know, mm. we talked, we've talked about Compton Cafeteria riots in, um, in off of Taylor in San Francisco. Um, it was tons of other ones in, um, in Los Angeles. Um, there were tons of crazy stuff happening in New Orleans. It is, you know, a whole, uh, the, the second floor lounge got burned down and killed like 38 homosexuals. Crazy. And that turned into people rioting, not rioting, but um, wow. protesting to get it against it. That lounge in, um, in New Orleans, it is tons of stuff that has happened in our country, pre-Stonewall. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, it's, this is not to say that Stonewall wasn't great, but there we have a history, a vast history of us bucking up against the system and, and, and a history of people thwarting us and people 
you know, getting in positions of power in our own community and putting us down in, 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 you know what I'm saying? So we got to be really, really conscious of the history that we tell. And that is what I wanted to talk about this week so that we understand that we have been doing fights. We have been fighting. This is not new. This is not something that, um, you know, just came in uh, this millennia. We have been fighting and we have been, um, you know, on this journey, I think it just took a little bit longer because we can't hide, we can't hide being black, but we can hide. And it was suggested that we hide being <clears throat> trans or homosexual or any kind of queerness. And um, that's what we did. So now we are coming to the forefront and our issues are coming to the forefront in the past, you know, 30, 30 years and, you know, 30, 40 years. And so here we are. So. Tell us what you think. Tell us some of the places that happen in your area. Hashtag Marsha's Plate. So I wanted to talk about, um, I know I've kind of been wearing this out with, um, you know, trans kids and them being able to transition and stuff. I think I talked about this a couple of episodes ago, but people keep making it seem as though like this is something new trans um, kids being able to transition or not even just that um, parents supporting their trans kids. So I wanted to talk about um, a trans woman named Lane in 1942. Come on, 1942. Yes. <laughs> she was, she was 17 years old. She was known in her um, hometown. She, she lived in her hometown with her um, with her parents. Lane had known that she was a girl from a very young age. And so um, she she was trying to let her parents know, hey, like something is different. I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm, I'm a girl. Her parents were like, okay, well, let's take you to the doctor. Maybe something is wrong or what can we do to fix this? And so... Um, they took her to the doctor and they were able to find out that she had a hormonal imbalance. And so she had more estrogen in her body and they didn't know what to do in order to help her transition. So they, the doctor suggested um, like doing a procedure on her, which would um, basically open her up and check her organs and Stuff like that, some some weird. Well, I guess it's not weird because this is like a um, something new, I guess. And they really didn't know how to treat trans people at the time. But her parents were like, "No." Her her father was like, "No, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna allow you to to do that. I don't know what they're gonna do to you, but we're not gonna allow that to happen." And so she continued to live her life as trans. There were many trans children like her in the early like mid 20th century. I think it's very important to mention that because like I said, people are saying that this is just happening. It's not just happening. Um, there was another trans boy who, I, I guess he wasn't able to transition also and he was able to do work, which were, I guess, for men. And that was able to help him with his dysphoria and transitioning and a lot of kids back then they couldn't transition at a, at a young age so 
They had to wait until they were adults in order to transition, which defies that myth that most trans kids are just going through things. This is something that's temporary. They're going to get over it. They'll end up detransitioning. And a lot of these these, um, kids in the 20th century, um, they transition as adults when they got the care that the proper care that they needed, but at the time they didn't have it. So some doctors were experimenting on them. I wanted to ask you guys, did you do, did, did any of y'all hear about any cases that were before this century of, um, uh, of kids trying to transition? Do y'all know of anything that's, uh, that may go along with this just to show people that, this has been an ongoing fight. I have um, in the 1800s. <laughs> well, no. There, there was a doctor by the name of James Barry. I think we have talked about him before, but not in depth. I really want to go in depth about him because it's kind of his story is kind of amazing. Um, Doctor James Barry. He, he's not black. He's white, um, but. He wanted to go to uh, when he was younger, when he was a girl at the time when he assigned female at birth, he wanted to go to this particular school. And at this time, they didn't allow girls to go to school. And so especially um, lower class girls or whatever. Um, um, So, you you know, there was some even upper class girls couldn't go to specific school, but there was this medical school that she wanted to go to two at the time that she was young, but she couldn't go to it because she was a girl. But guess what? (laughs) You know, we hustlers, baby. (laughs) (laughs) But guess what? Her cousin, James, had died. And so Uh she took his birth certificate and said, you know what? I'm about to be James. <laughs> and so she took on James Barry's identity and enrolled into the school as a boy. Right. Start dressing in boys' clothes, start putting, you know, doing whatever she needed to do at the time to do what she needed to do. And so she was like, oh, I'm James now. So, hey. Mr. He, him, this is what it was. And so he started to live his life as James and continue so much so, was so good at what he did, he became a physician and became a head physician in the army, in oh, the, 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 the British army. Now we, know, now we know that um, this was during the time that they was colonizing and, you know, going over to Africa and yeah, fucking shit up. Right. <laughs> let's, let's, let's not be confused about the Alamo. So because getting serious history day. Right. So he was a part of that um this regime that was going into Africa and colonizing it in the late 1800s. So in the early 1800s, I'm sorry, this is like, like I, I love the fact that you were like, let me preface actually. Not, like, not even like because I didn't think you were gonna I thought you were like I didn't know that's where you were about to go with it. I thought you were just like girls, just in general, like whites were whiting. But <laughs> <laughs> he was still white, so yeah, part of it was like, yeah, trans, get your get your life. But part of it is you still white and colonized Africa, so get the fuck out of here, bitch. girl. <laughs> so, girl. <laughs> so, so he was stationed in South Africa, 
And so his claim to fame in 1936, 1932, 36, 33, somewhere in the 30s, eight, not 1918, um, I won't say 19, 1830 something. I think it's 32, 36, one of them. He is the first doctor to ever perform a cesarean, a successful cesarean in South Africa. He is, right. he is oh, the wow. second one to perform. A, and when I say successful, I mean successful where the mama lived. Not, mm -hmm. not, um, there was cesarean that happened, but, um, you know, taking the baby out, usually the mama died. <laughs> so this is the second one in history but the first one yeah c-section yes um this is the second one in in history that actually worked where the mama lived but this is the first one in south africa where the mama lived when the cesarean was happening so this is a groundbreaking surgery that a trans man did and it would and it's kind of obvious it, it kind of would make sense that a trans man would know the perfect way, especially a person who studied the anatomy and the body of humans mm -hmm. as a doctor. Uh, it would, it would, it, it kind of would be make sense that this would be a person who would know the 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 ins and outs of a woman's body <laughs> to mm -hmm. be able to perform this surgery, and so. Mm -hmm. That's a groundbreaking thing. And so later on in life, so he lived to like 80 something. Mm -hmm. um, so in the late 1800s, he was he when he, he his um, his boss, it is rumored that his boss knew, found out and knew his tea and Definitely they were and they were having an affair. Oh, and when it, it, when it was <laughs> when it was getting exposed, okay. they shipped him back to Britain. And he went to Canada, then he went back to the UK. May I ask a question? Uh-huh. Was the affair exposed or his tea was exposed? Or both? Affair. It was oh, so it, it was a it would look like a homosexual affair. Right. To but everybody else. And to so everybody else, but but shipping him out stopped it from the whole tea from coming out okay okay that's the they thought it was they didn't know that he was trans yet so mm -hmm. they thought it was just mm -hmm. like a homosexual thing mm -hmm. but then that so they shipped him out and so the, the whole full thing didn't get exposed but the homosexual thing didn't get exposed either because they shipped him out you get what i'm saying they yeah. these are right, two right, leading right, people right. Of this little army, him over the medical part, and then the other dude over the whole tea thing. on top of tea. Tea on top of tea. They like uh uh. It was like we don't need we don't need this out. So you take your horny ass back to uh, <laughs> back to where you went, where you from. And so when he died, he in his will because you know now at this point he has money. He is a decorated um, vet. When he died, he put it in his will that he does not want his body uncovered. He wants to, he, he wants his, he's having his sis, his assistants wrap him. Just don't un uncover him. Just put him in a box and bury him. Oh, wow. Just, and you know, of course, his intention was so he, he wouldn't be exposed right. as a girl, um, as a assigned female at birth person. But, Which is beautiful. but they didn't listen. Predictability. That's like, <laughs> yes. They didn't listen. They uncovered his body 
and found out that he was actually born a girl because, you know, they didn't have at the time have any sex changes at the time because this was in the late 1800s. Well, he was living during the early 1800s. But by the time he died, it was the late 1800s. And they were like, oh, this was a fucking girl. <laughs> so it turns into this big news thing and they expose his transness. And this is how they find out that this amazing veteran doctor of the army, British army, we see this in the Mexican army. There was like three generals in the Mexican armies that were assigned female at birth. <laughs> yeah. we, there was many um, yeah. trans men Come that, on, fought in the, that trans men fought in the Mexican army. Tons of Emilio. We talked about him in the other episodes too. Tons of Mexican um, trans men who fought in the Mexican war. Um, it's three that I know of for sure. Um, Emilio Ro- Robles. How do you say that? R-O-B-E-L R-O-B-L-E-S something. Um, yes. So um Yes, yeah, so I, I, I have heard of teens, young people transitioning early in their life and going about their business and it's not switching. <laughs> right. I don't really know of any people who were transitioning, quote unquote, as young people, but uh, officially or formally. But I, I will speak for myself. I would say, like, I took birth control. And when they told me about season now, and you only get your period four times a year, I started taking that. And then when I got to get off of it, because there was a problem with my insurance, I just did not take the sugar pills, right? Because the sugar pills, when you take them, that's when you're supposed to get your period. And so I was transitioning without, you know, it was like a subconscious kind of thing. Because I was like, I can't get my period. I knew that. I knew a way not to get it. So that's what I was doing. Literally. Up until you know, probably a couple a uh, couple weeks uh, or within the month, I started tea because you oh, wow. it's too much of a conflict, right? But I didn't know. I mean, I knew subconsciously, but I didn't know. You know what I'm saying? Right, right, right. I wasn't saying I'm transitioning. I just knew I ain't trying to get this period. I'm trying to be comfortable, and I'm sure that there's. A, I mean, I don't recommend doing that because this is a period comes when it wants, and so that's still an issue. But um, but I think I'm sure there's other people who have done that. Uh, or are doing that. Um, but uh, yeah, and I knew folks that like worked out pretty heavily mm-hmm. to try to keep uh, their body fat low to not get a period. Um, also, don't recommend that. So <laughs> those are some examples, I think, because transitioning and testosterone wasn't even something I could, testosterone taking hormones was not something I could conceive of for an A5 person because I did not know that was an option. That makes Basic, sense. Basically, I thought I had to like go to San Francisco or go to New York and find a way to find an option at that point in my, in my life. But I knew hormones were available for trans women because I knew a lot of trans women took hormones or hormone blockers, but I did not know at that time. So my thing was, shit, I'm going to take this birth control. <laughs> and I get this variance. Uh, but, you know, I did that since I was like 16, from 16 to about 28 or so. Yeah, I didn't know either. I was just like, well... I asked, well, first I asked questions, but once I realized it was estrogen, I said, okay, let me pop some of these. (laughs) (laughs) I really wished I had those. Again, don't recommend it. I mess with my my hormonal Mm -hmm. levels, and I I started um, messing with body hair, and well, the the hormones started messing with my body hair, and Mm. it just became a mess because everything was all over the place. 
Yeah, but let, let's say that, Mia. Let's go deeper into that because what people don't understand when you don't have a um, endocrinologist that's kind of monitoring your hormone levels, mm-hmm. if you take too much hormones, your body will say you have too much estrogen in your body and turn that estrogen into testosterone. It will it actually happens do the, the same for tea. It exactly. happens the same for tea. You take too much if tea, you are taking aromatase, too much, that's going to turn yes. back into estrogen. It's going to be like so. Your body is going to say, Hmm, it's a lot too much, honey. So the logically, we would think that if we do too much, <laughs> if we logically we think, oh, the more we take, the more feminine or the more masculine we're going to be. But it's actually the opposite. That's why it's yeah. really, really important for you to have. Um, I know it's not always accessible, but at le- do not think that taking more is better. It exactly. is really take the exactly. whatever the recommended amount of dose, take it and let it run its course. Let it work out in that kind mm-hmm. of way. Do not mm-hmm. think taking more is better. I know when we were younger, Mia, um, we called it being pickled. <laughs> Baby, oh, wow. you really thought that you was doing something. And so I, I was like, wait a minute. No, mm-hmm. somebody educated me and was like, no, it. If you overdose, you're not it's not going to make you more feminine. Like you think that you're just. Knocking the testosterone out your body. No, ma'am. You're converting it. <laughs> You're right. converting right. it. Converts, yeah. <laughs> and just causing more, you know, angst and, you know, your body's Act. like, what am I doing with my hormones? Yeah. Um, and one more thing on that, too, like with testosterone, because it is such a much more powerful <laughs> drug that's banned at the Olympics. You know what I'm saying? Like you can put yourself in a situation where you run the risk for a heart attack, a stroke. Um, yeah. it's, 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 you know, that's why they ban it. Like it's, it's, a yeah. control, it's a controlled substance. I don't, I don't know if, um, I don't know other is estradiol and some of the other hormones. Are those considered controlled substances? I don't think so. Yeah. Cause that's no, like it's, a, it's, it's a control substance, no matter if you're taking it for tea or not. A lot of people take testosterone. So like, it's definitely like not a game to play with because you could literally blow your heart out. So yeah, and I I think that's why it's easier for trans men to transition, like in the past, because that's such a strong chemical. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. It's easy to make something soft hard versus something hard soft. Mm. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Lastly, I wanted to say, um, yet yet the failure uh, failure of the doctors and other gatekeepers to stop the children from transitioning as um as children and their inability to access any form of gender affirming medical treatment hardly prevented them from transitioning as adults. Mm-hmm. So even, even though they didn't have the access, even though they had people who had power that was stopping them from transition or trying to uh, manipulate them and experiment on them, they still was able to transition and live their lives out fully. So even though you're, even though law uh, people with power are trying to stop children from transition or stop people from transitioning in general, we're still going to find a way. Right. Right. Still not going to take them sugar pills. Baby. Sugar pills. I do want to give a reference that was in the article. Um, There is a book called Histories of the Transgender Child. Um, Mm. Check that out. And it's a great read. I haven't read it yet, but I went through the pages on the little preview. And it's really, really, I'm like, oh, this is going to be my bad because I'm a history buff. So I'm going to check it out. (laughs) But if y'all want to check it out before I do, check it out. It's called Histories of of the Trans Child. Hashtag Marsha's Play.
Yeah, so the other week we kind of touched on a little bit around privilege and privilege being situational, basically for all of us, uh, particularly as black people. And <clears throat> just wanted to go into that a little bit more. Um, obviously, privilege is situational for us as black people, whether you're cis, whether you're trans, whether you're around white people or you're not around white people, depending on the gender of the white people, you know what I mean? And even within our communities, um, in terms of like power dynamics and things like that. Typically, when we think about like cis black men having the level of power and kind of uh, embodying all that's wrong with patriarchy and misogyny and sexism, that's usually flexed amongst other black people. It's not usually flexed in the same way around white people because there's usually some consequences that come behind that, even though all you're doing is mimicking this problematic shit from white cis dudes, right? And then in terms of black women having a certain level of privileges, I can speak from my own personal experience, navigating the world as a cis assumed black woman, that, you know, there was certain stuff I could get, I can't get away with now. <laughs> like, there was a level of safety I had because I wasn't seen as a target. I was more invisible around white folks, uh, quote unquote, the world in a way that I'm not now. When I navigate the world now, it's like you, are a criminal <laughs> until you prove otherwise uh, to a very dark skinned person. Um, but when I'm around black folks, depending on that black community, uh, it's a lot of, oh baby, da da da, and I could probably get away with anything I wanted to if I so choose, right? Because of the bullshit. Um, anyway, so I'm kind of all over the, I mean, I'll be all over the place, but um, it got me thinking about ways around we were talking about holding folks accountable a little bit too and about the ways that that shows up how does it show up for black trans dudes and trans masculine people i know for myself that i'm that guy that's like going to call a thing a thing in a situation <laughs> and sometimes it surprises people um but that's just what it is uh i've had you know several convers you know several situations where i've been talking with folks and they'll be like Oh, I'm talking about, I'm talking to this person, you know, talk to this hoe, this bitch. And I'll be like, oh, oh, are there other words? What are you talking about? Who are you calling a bitch? Who are you calling a hoe? What are we doing here? Right? Because that's, I don't, I don't get down like that. And most of the people I fuck with don't get down like that. But I also don't approach it with the, I'm going to call you out, fuck you, bye, see you later, bye, <laughs> kind of attitude because I'm in community with folks, right? And we're all very vulnerable people drinking a lot of bullshit ass Kool-Aid around patriarchy, misogyny, and sexism. And most folks don't usually have an opportunity to talk through that. And so I use those opportunities to kind of to, to check folks and let it be known that's not appropriate around me. And I'm very consistent about it um, to the point where, you know, I've had some friends over time say, oh man, you really got me to stop <laughs> being out here and talking about bitches and hoes and things. Cause it's not appropriate. I'm gonna check it. You can say that shit with whoever you need to say that shit with, but I'm gonna tell you what, it's not gonna be around me. Um, and I do think that's one way on a social level for other trans guys and trans masculine folks to be able to start checking those things when it comes to folks in our community um, and move those conversations about like, what's up with that? Like, what is, what is this, what, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing here? And where's that coming from? Cause really what you're doing is supporting this system that's about power and control. And it impacts all of us, right? Like patriarchy and misogyny impacts trans women. It impacts cis women. It impacts trans men. It impacts uh, 
more feminine, expressive, uh, cisgender gay men, because all of that disrupts what patriarchy and misogyny is all about, right? Like trans men, trans masculine people are disrupting it because, and butch women are disrupting it because you're not quote unquote being available for this male gaze. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then if we assume that we find out that you're trans as an AFAB person, well, we put AFAB to woman and misogyny is about the hatred of women. <laughs> so it's like, so it's like, you know, it becomes, it becomes a thing. So why should we um, participate? Um, I've also had experiences where uh, I've dated people and it was assumed that I was about that life. And it was like, I'm not, and it was very awkward to have, you know, with particularly with cis women. Um, what life? I'm sorry. To, to, to kind of be engaged in patriarchy standards, patriarchal standards, assuming that I believe that women are objects, <laughs> assuming that I'm going to treat women in a particular kind of way, which is a part of like a lot of the dominant culture that gets pushed out here to treat women like objects, like sexual objects. And, and, and that's, and it's, it was very trick. It's been very triggering for me over, over the time since starting to transition medically, because I don't, I didn't get down like that before I transitioned. And what I do observe is most folks who get down like that after they start transitioning medically, we're usually already on that bullshit before they start transitioning medically. Right. But are just leaning in harder because they quote, look the part. Right. And so I, you know, there's a, and not, yeah, I'm sorry. And not just object, uh, treating them like objects, even the idea of, um, I'm supposed to pay all the bills. I'm yeah. supposed to, um, whatever the cishet rules of manhood. Exactly. Sometimes you can find people who date. And Mia, I know you do this. Well, not now, but I know you have had this kind of conversation with Trey. Um, because you have been in a long-term relationship now with Z. But with, when you used to date Trey, I know it was rules that they kind of would spread that would they would express to you that this is how the relationship is supposed to be. The woman is supposed to do this stuff and the man is supposed to do this stuff. And yes. so a, a lot of times, you know, we all go through that where we'll meet cis people or date them and they will say well i'm used to this i'm used to exactly. men acting like this i'm used to me yeah. this. this is what a real man does and if you're not adhering to what a real man does and how am i going to respect you as a real man and da, da 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 it plays to our insecurities about our identity it plays to a normative that we literally are bucking up against Mm -hmm. And so, and I don't say all of us are bucking up against it because some of us want to adhere to those rules that right. goes to respectability <laughs> politics. I mean, to your, benefit. I mean, to your point, Diamond. Yeah, it's like everybody socialized to believe these things are should be the norm. Yeah. Right. Um, and you know, at these various places where all of our let, let, let me just real quick clear up some things about the turfs, right? Because the turfs, what I'm about to say, the turfs are going to jump on. I want to be clear that the turfs don't mean shit to me because usually the folks who are associated with being turfs are the same white women who said black women on some bullshit because they want to go to work versus, oh, we're all want to get out of the house and into the workplace. These are the same white women that a lot of black women, cis or trans feminists and womanists have a problem with. A lot of the folks that occupy this turfy category are a lot of white women who are cis. I just want to like, <laughs> like so they be on function. Not saying people don't subscribe to their beliefs. But like actual turfs are already problematic in addition to their turfy 
politics. Like they have problematic racial politics often. They have politics around a lot of shit. Um, in my experience, uh, when it comes to particularly like older white women, feminist turf people. Um, I had a problem with these people before I transitioned around their turfiness. I had a problem with these people before I transitioned <laughs> around their anti-blackness An assumption that everybody is experiencing sexism, racism, patriarchy from a white middle-class cisgender situation. That's just not the case. Our shit looks different, period. Not saying there's not overlap, but how that manifest looks different. Culturally. Um, oftentimes, Cult yeah, yeah, period. Yeah, it definitely is overlap because I see black lesbian turfs. I see oh, black, yeah. I see oh, black yeah. people in the turf movement all the time that are not mm. that yeah, I know it's white turfs that, that has their problematic racist shit that got going on. I mean they're the I, I guess I'm saying they're the anchor. So any black person that's subscribing to that is subscribing to some white bullshit, is what I'm saying. Mm. I'm not suggesting that there aren't black turfy people, but the origin of that stuff goes to these white folks. The origin of that, not the, not saying that you don't have black folks that are like, subscribe to turf beliefs. But when we talk about trans exclusionary radical feminists, we talk about anything that has to do with feminism and the 27, 8 billion versions of feminism, that's about white folks. And it, right. okay, that's about right. that because they can stay in the head because they're not right. dealing with the same kind of day to day that folks are dealing with, right? And oftentimes mm -hmm. the turfs, any of them, they got the privilege to stay in their head and on the fucking internet. Because if you're poor, you got to have data to be <laughs> all day arguing about fuckers. If you're poor, you have to have Wi-Fi, right? Like most folks are just going to work anyway. But that's my rant about the turfs, like the form, formal, official turfs, not necessarily folks that subscribe to the same beliefs, because that's bullshit too. So I think one of the reasons why we had this conversation is because last week we didn't, while we're revisiting this part of the conversation, because last mm -hmm. week we we didn't plan the conversation that we had, a, that you were sharing about some of the overlaps and you, and I thought this was a beautiful way to express it, um, that you said when you, mm -hmm. when you stand at the intersections of being trans and at the intersection of being AFAB. Yes. Um, um, the, the, the intersection, well, I, let me go back and read what you said. Um, the intersection, you called it, um, black trans guys are at the intersection of male privilege and AFAB reality. Yes. And yes. I, and, and I think that's a nuance that we don't talk about well oh. enough <laughs> because like I, like I told you in our conversation, I think that there is a level I have experienced trans men telling me that they, they are describing a nuance of and shift in the privilege, which may seem like it's contradicting what you're saying, like what you were saying last week about um, still holding on the rollover. There's some rollover that happens as an AFAB person. Um mm -hmm. And so, and I think M M Mia was kind of questioning and trying to trying to dig deeper into it. And yeah. so, when yeah. we said that there is, there is a there is trans men who have talked to me many times and said that transitioning relieves some of the oppression that came with being a black woman. They mm. um they don't experience some of the things that you were naming, and from um observation, it usually for me my own observation it usually depends on three things how they adhere to cis heteronormativity in looks and lifestyle, 
Two is how they um, severed from the support system that you were talking about last week. You said that when you transition, you lose a support system that you may have had as a black woman. And mm-hmm. sometimes I, because black and this may be um, sometimes it depends on how that is severed because they all don't lose that connection um, to um, that support of black women, especially if they're a partner, which they usually yes. are. There is yes. a lot of trans men, more than trans women that I yes. know that transition with their partner. They have yes. a partner. It is open and they, they're with a cis woman that is like, oh, I'm willing to do this. I can do this. It is very, very rare that you see at the at not wrong to say rare. It is the the if we look at the numbers between trans men who are partner and more, trans women who are common. partner, it's definitely yeah. more common with trans men being partner. Yeah. And number three, how privileged they are before they transitioned in areas of life outside of gender and race, because mm-hmm. class can shield and alleviate many of the oppression, exper- oppressive experience and harms that are stereotypical of a black girl. So if they are coming from a place of privilege from the, from, from, because there are black girls who are privileged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not disputing that. But without, to Mia's point earlier, mm-hmm. both of your points around these expectations and norms around being desirable for men and all these, all these things that we all buy, that we're socialized to buy into, we're all socialized into it. And all I'm saying is that AFAB people, regardless if the people are, and, and Diamond, you mentioned too, like the way that we're socialized before we're even aware, have awareness. And so what I'm saying is that socialization before we even have awareness stop. for AFAB people is across the board, whether you're cis or, or trans, and you can both be dealing with being a victim of the situation and perpetuated, just like cis women. Cis women still have to deal with sexism still have to deal with the world that's misogynistic still got to deal with patriarchy whether they choose to reinforce it because they believe they're benefiting from it or that gets them something from men and i'm saying for trans guys it's the same thing like you're still you still are at this intersection is what i'm saying um and regardless of your class status one thing especially if you grew up in church and you black and you afat before you're even 10 years old you're told to close your legs when you sit down, don't matter your class. It's conditioning, right? No, because you don't need to be available to a man that wants to violate you. No, no, gender. I'm, but I'm, I'm saying like, LJ, that's, I'm saying, saying conditioning. You know. like, mm-hmm. yeah, conditioning you as a girl, like in conditioning someone as a boy is different. That's, that's yeah. basically what I'm saying. I mean, but you know, you're a target, like, you know, you're a target is what I'm saying, right? The conditioning mm-hmm. is not just like the conditioning of something I want to buck up against. What you learn very young is you don't have control of your body. Boys are conditioned to to be free and be and to do whatever they want. And like you said, they are like girls are targeted. But yeah, that this has a lot to do with conditioning and gender roles. Definitely. And I think the link, what I was saying, the link is like to your point, Diamond, like it is it's like everybody there's diversity within the community with a lot of different factors that come into it. Because I know folks who are in the hood who don't have degrees and got nothing to do with college, where they still do political education around. Uh, in those communities around sexism, around patriarchy, around racism, around transphobia. But that really is, where do you live? <laughs> what is your situation? Because that's going to look different. And there's in uh, BTEC, Black Trans Advocacy Conference, was the first time I saw such broad representation 
of trans men and trans masculine experiences because mine was limited to the hood and limited to folks that went to predominantly white institutions. So that's a very specific Midwest hood. Let me be clear, right? Not the South, which is some other stuff. But we're talking about black, black trans people. Yeah, right? black, yeah, black folks. Right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So black like, trans, black, uh, and I just want to be specific, but um, clear it up just so we're on the same page. So yeah, black yeah. trans people who were who lived in the hood and then also black trans people who were able to be in white spaces, access white spaces. Well, you said as LJs. I'm saying that's, that's my, I'm saying, I'm saying my, my primary interaction with folks have been with folks that's in the hood in the Midwest, folks that went to predominantly white schools, whether it's two year or four year and folks, regardless of any of that, who even before we had our, the, not the money we have now, nonprofit, social justice, industrial complex, circa, you know, after 2010, 2012 and stuff, who were in some of those spaces too, because it was a little bit more grassroots in a way that's not today. And so amongst those folks, I'm in already in somewhat politicized spaces, to your point. Uh, also though, what I noticed going down South or again, regional, like what's, what's you can do down, patriarchy down South look different, <laughs> patriarchy up North. Like what's what's what, the difference? You, you can't get away with half that shit up north. You can't just be out here saying anything to women, talking about women any kind of fucking way, like the chivalry and all that kind of stuff. It's just not the same. It's not the same. There's some there's the shit is not socially acceptable. And so it really just depends. Like it, it's not it's not a catch-all for everybody, but there are some things, no matter who you are, that are just a, across the board. And to your point, Mia, is what you were saying about the Everybody's socialized to buy into this bullshit. And I guess what I was saying too about the um about closing your legs is like you, if if you're in a situ- altercation with a cisgender man and they find out your T, now you're dealing with a different level of violence, right? Because you are supposed to be women. And we don't like women because women are supposed to be in their place and you're challenging that. Even if you're not a trans man, if you're a butch lesbian, if you're a fucking dyke, if you're visibly if you're visibly saying I am not available for you, cisgender heterosexual man, once that's known, that puts you at risk because women, women with quotations, right, for them, right, for them and their bullshit is associated with AFAB because they have been socialized to believe that, even though it's bullshit. And so that's what I'm saying. So that danger well, well, is always, said, is, is Jay, a piece um, that's always LJ, there. LJ, I'm mm-hmm. sorry. You keep saying bullshit. What are you referring to? The the patriarch. I'm saying the date that the cis heterosexual men have been socialized to believe that men are a default okay. <laughs> for people. That's why, you know, you run into folks that say all oh, these broads, these bitches, mm-hmm. these hoes all that kind of stuff these females these females right and so and so so we have that and then because transphobia they say well i say i see a fat person that person has to be a woman Mm. and what comes with that and what comes with that and what comes with that are these expectations around patriarchy you're talking about trans yeah, but that's also like again, that's situational because it depends on who you're who you are, who you're around, where you live. Yeah, that's and that's what yeah, I'm yeah. saying. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm I'm agreeing. Yeah, uh, oppression, it, what what it feels like we are talking about. I'm talking about is the intersection, yeah. 
the oppression that can be experienced is really based on the perspective of the person who is who is inflicting the yes. oppression. So yeah, yeah. if if I find out that you are a trans man, while yes, you could have been getting all these privileges as a man when I thought that you were a man, but as soon as I find out that you are a trans man, same thing with trans women, just opposite of okay. talking about trans men experience, I am going to be like, oh, you're a woman. So I'm going to come at you with all of the misogyny and misogyny noir let's 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 take it because we're talking about black trans men so i want to i'm gonna come into the game in how i oppress you with the massage noir that i'm gonna give to any other black woman plus extra because you're trying to go too far with this fucking tranny i'm gonna put you in your place (laughs) and let you know you have a vagina that and that's and that's the thing because that's what a lot of bunch women studs got to deal with and same thing for trans. And see, and the only reason I'm really flexible with this because I don't like using the white folks' social structure to talk about gender. And because, it, because it, I mean, let me because you have trans men who don't take hormones. You have studs who take hormones, and you might assume they are trans men. Like it, it really is like super fluid, is what I'm saying. And so the experience, and this no, is why I, 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 you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So like. That's why I try not to lean too much. And so it's not, I'm not being, I want to be clear to the audience. Like I'm not, to listeners, I'm not dismissing any of this shit. What I'm saying is I like to approach it in a nuanced way because we are black people and what this means in our real lives and our daily lives and the diversity within our community is very different in terms of those labels. Now there's a lot of overlapping experiences. And when we focus on experiences, I think that's the place where we can hold each other accountable talk about the shit we don't normally talk about because nobody's socialized to talk about this shit unless you're presented with an opportunity, maybe at a conference, maybe you took a class, but none of us are grow up learning how to talk about this shit unless we're presented. There's an intervention somewhere. Yeah. Unless you have parents that like are, are are woke and they teach you when you're young or unless you do the self-education. But I, I always hear, um, like the that part of it, right? The struggle of transitioning being mass. I know that there is a privilege that comes along with that. And Absolutely. I really hear I rarely hear people's trans masculine people be like, okay, well these are the these are the privileges that I'm able to access now that I've transitioned, even if I'm not assumed um uh male. Let there me are ask some this. things that there are some privileges that do change for the better. Definitely. Let me ask this. Mm-hmm. Because we're talking about the rollover. Um, one of the things that I always see, um, somebody, I I totally understand what you're saying, LJ, I, because I yeah, understand the nuance of this and, mm-hmm. and totally understand that. we. I think we know because you are dating a trans man and y'all talk about it. We've talked about yeah. it with Z many times. So we, um, we, we know this, but there is a, just for the sake of the conversation when we talk about that rollover that acknowledgement of that intersection of being assigned your assigned birth reality and the gender privilege that always comes that mindset is the basis of what turfs as are talking about it is the basis of a turf and i'm not talking about the the right. white turf, black turf, the, yeah. the turfs, black, white, whatever race that want that say that because we are conditioned in this certain way, there is rollover in privilege and oppression. 
Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, a lot of times we love to talk about the uh, rollover of the oppression, but nobody talks about the rollover of privilege and blah, 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 because when we talk about that, it kind of debunks some of the things that everybody, the victimization that everybody wants to mm. put out for. And when it, right. especially when we're talking about the uh, oppression Olympics. So it's so I want to ask you, um, they use that mindset and that rollover to invalidate us as women. Right. And you guys as men because of that rollover. So it's a Mm -hmm. thin line now because I know who you are. I I know that you are not sharing your experience in that nuance and that rollover to invalidate our identity. You Mm -hmm. are sharing it. So, so we can understand and learn the experience that you are going through and push back against the Turks because us not being able to have this converse, these conversation hurts all of us. There's an intersection where cis women, trans women, trans men, anybody that's not a cisgender heterosexual man, Mm-hmm. For the most part, we all got an intersection because we're all being oppressed by fucking patriarchy is what I'm saying. We're all being oppressed by patriarchy and misogyny because the reason that they don't like trans women, the reason they don't like trans men, the reason they don't like dykes, the reason they don't like faggots, all of that intersects with the same fucking thing. Mm-hmm. That has to do around patriarchy and misogyny because you're too much like you're too girly. If you're a boy, why would you do that? You're trans woman. Why are you, you know, giving up this thing? Oh, you still have a job. So you're a woman. All that stuff still is about hung up in the same thing. So fuck these terse is all I'm saying. And I'm glad that we're clarifying this because they are getting in the way on purpose is what I'm saying. Divide and fucking conquer. No, fuck that. We need to go, in my opinion, go back to the old school when it wasn't no fucking money. And we were talking about experiences, not labels. Labels are important to talk about. We got to do both because it's too it's too many. It, you it, there's too much shit going on that we're all dealing with, and I think there's a lot that we could learn from each other. I learn a lot from cis gay men who are more feminine about just how to navigate life, how to navigate some of these challenges, how to navigate some of the bullshit that's coming my way. If because most trans men, a lot of guys, you know, people think they're gay, right? Right, just based on our gender expression. I would not know how I was not raised that way. I was raised as somebody who was visibly gender non-conforming my entire life until deep into my transition. And so, and also the, the flip side of that conversation too, when folks come to the table with that projected on you and it's not familiar, it can be triggering because that's not my experience. I don't come out of a heteronormative anything kind of background. And so it becomes so very will- it becomes very triggering to assume that all black trans men and trans masculine people are connected to that reality when there there's a lot of people who aren't because there's diversity yeah. in the community. So it can be off-putting and triggering to your own history around sexual assault, your own history around trying to avoid these these motherfuckers trying to grab your body your whole goddamn life, even when you're like, I'm a lesbian. <laughs> Right. So like it just it can get it can get real tricky. And all I'm saying is like it's important for us to have that nuance because that's not every person's lived experience. We have a whole segment within trans men population that come out of lesbian communities with no men were involved at all. That's my history. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I wasn't around no heterosexual nobody. The only men in my life outside of my family and a lot of those representations were very like on the healthier side of masculinity. I wasn't around that. I came out when I was a baby, 15, 14, 15 years old, and just been around primarily women who are cis and lesbian, queer 
folks, trans folks, gay men who are cis, trans women, like that's just been my experience. And so, you know, be, and, and again, like I said, going to BTAC, it was the first time I saw such broad, vast diversity of experiences. And, you know, first I'm in the South. So I was, that was the first time I was seeing that much misogyny and shit going on check because we down South. I'm not used to that. That shit is off fucking pudding. I don't care if it's coming from a trans man, a cis man, or anybody. I don't like the shit. I'm going to call it out. You know what I'm saying? And it's uncomfortable. And so I just want to be clear. Like, that's not everybody's. There's diversity in the, the history of trans men. Not all trans men have a history of heterosexual anything. And that shit can, is unfamiliar. So even what you're getting put on you is not even, you don't even know what the fuck people's talking about for sometimes. So wait, 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 because there's a I want to for people who may be listening, because we are in in this kind of conversation, we may be preaching to the choir, but just the people who there there is there is a contradiction that um, uh, what is it? Is it a paradox or a paradigm? I think it's (laughs) paradox. paradox, I think it's paradox where um, where these things may seem like they're contradicting. So at one point in this conversation, LJ was saying there is a conditioning that is happening that affects all of us. And then now in the conversation, he is expressing that everybody is not affected in the same way with that conditioning. (laughs) Some people opt out, right? Yes. I was a part of a community of AFAB, queer and trans people that I purposefully opt out. I don't know what straight people do. (laughs) <laughs> I don't like that shit. You know what I'm saying? I don't know about the rom-coms. I dated one straight woman in my life and I had to talk to my friends who were straight because I wasn't used to all the toxic bullshit that comes with the straight people bullshit that's and rooted that's in patriarchy and rooted that's in the bullshit. Well, I was a lesbian. I wasn't fucking, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I was a guy. That's a you know privilege I mean? to be able to you know? be in that type of, that type of area. And it's like, also protection. Yeah, right. it wasn't but, just pre- it wasn't I didn't it have was that type of privilege. I, I stayed in a rural part of the mm-hmm. South in Texas where everything, but where even being gay was like weird. And that's not something that's common. Usually you could tip around and be gay and, and people won't necessarily bother you, but they wore gay people out. So yeah, yeah I completely understand the, the nuances of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I definitely when I, you know, in the city you definitely see this more, right? In terms of folks leaning into like heteropatriarchal kind of tropes and things. Some of it's quote unquote survival. But again, I am that friend. I am just going to say that's some bullshit. And I encourage others in the community, other trans men and trans masculine people to call it when you see it and make it known. Like that's not acceptable around me, man. Let's have a conversation about that because that's unhealthy for you to perpetuate it's not just that you're it's unhealthy for the people you're doing it to. It's unhealthy for all of us to be engaged in that bullshit. And it's okay to call a thing a thing in the moment. As I said earlier, there's another person, some folks in the community over the years that I've known. And, you know, they would come with that bullshit. Bras this, bitches that, hoes this, all this kind of shit. And I'd be like, ah, no, no, no. Like what are we like? What are we talking about here, bro? Like what are what what is this conversation? Are we talking? You know what I'm saying? Like I said earlier, we talking about people. We talking about human beings. Uh, you know, uh, cat calling. I'm like, uh, this person is not in on this, so that's not consent. So we need to, you know what I'm saying? So like a lot of situations like that, 
I'm just for some examples, but it's just like pushing, there's healthy ways, there's ways we can have, hold each other accountable and have these conversations and move them for trans men and trans masculine people that's not shutting people down. Absolutely. And I think we yeah. talked about this in our in our private conversation. I was saying that I do know that I do know that when people are in circles alone of their own type, you know, when they're in circles alone, they are less likely to be held accountable when they get to talking mm-hmm. about when mm-hmm. they get to talking about um their issues and their grievances with the world It's a lot of times that when it comes to the shit that they add to other people's oppression, they don't hold it. They don't hold them accountable. I had a conversation with a piece of trade the other day where I'm like, you're not, you, 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 you are expert in how your oppression manifests, but you are not an expert in how you oppress other people. And I see that with um, trans men. I see that with trans women, there's tons of anti um, tons of misogyny is tons of, especially when it comes to, when it's pointed to cis women that I know this from trans mm. women, um, there's tons of, mis- especially gay men. There's a lot of misogyny that I see Definitely. that pointed at cis women. In wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Just, just a second. I'm, I don't mean to cut you off, Dom, but like what misogyny do you see pointed from trans women? From trans women to cis women? Um, any, mm. Anything that is, that's, that says that a cis woman should act a certain way to be ladylike is misogyny. Anything yeah. that... Is that because is, they're ooh. either or- or misogyny can anything if you have any rules in, if yeah. you have any rules that you, i'm more of a woman that i act more of if i've heard trans women say this i act more a woman than you because you all ratchet and ghetto and not ladylike that real, is misogyny that quick. is toxic and, yeah it uh, is that, and, that, and the, mm, the reason mm, why i was um clarifying which gender could uphold misogyny because we know everybody everybody can yeah can hold uphold misogyny there's some people who just think that a mad people uphold misogyny and that they cater to it specifically because of their conditioning and i I encountered that at b-tech also that Mm. there were trans men who were looking for misogynistic ways and trans women making trans women feel uncomfortable Mm -hmm. yeah i saw that too i saw i see it Mm -hmm. in it in the, across the, the board. My, my, my across the board. Fucking and my board. point Absolutely. was that I yep. see it in cis men. I see it in cis black men. I see it in cis black women. I see it in terps when it's time for them to be held accountable for the privileges mm-hmm. that they have, how mm-hmm. it affects us, others, and themselves. When we mm-hmm. are in the spaces alone, it doesn't happen holding ourselves accountable for the stuff that we hold on to when it comes to misogyny, when it comes to privileges, when it comes to the things that putting our foot on somebody else's neck, it is less effective when it's, when we are in spaces alone. So it's hard for us to, we, we need to, this is why we need to be together and talk about these kind of nuances right. so right. we can understand when we are in spaces with other people, how your privilege can actually affect other people. Yes. Mm-hmm. You can be safe in sharing um, in these spaces alone, which I think you need alone time and to talk about things. But in these spaces alone, it is safe to share your grievances. But also, it should be a safe to share your accountability because yes. if you're preaching to the choir, it's not going to change anything. They are. But you- also, Diamond, accountability without accountability uh, is nothing. Amen. Everyone doesn't have the integrity to acknowledge the nuances that benefits them when being the victim is more useful to their plight. Let me say that again. (laughs) Everyone does not have the integrity to acknowledge the nuances that we are discussing right now that benefits them when they are being 
when being a victim is more useful to their plight. So it's very hard for, and I'm just going to say <laughs> trans women, but this is every person. If you, if you mm-hmm. listen to our conversation, especially in these times, but be, be, especially right. in this time when it, it's as a trans woman who works in nonprofit, who works in community organizing, da, 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 da. I see all the time, especially now, when it's more lucrative to be the victim, when we got people paying us for to tell our stories exactly. and da 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 da. It's more it's more in, exactly it's more right. lucrative to be the victim. Yep. It is less lucrative <laughs> and it's less un, it's less comfortable for us to say where we show up in uh, upholding patriarchy, where we show up. In, in upholding misogyny, where we show up in holding the oppressions up of other people, trans men, trans women, cis men, cis women, the, however we do that. Quiet as it's kept, a lot of trans people uphold those things in private when, due to survival if they think it might get right. them through. Right. Yes, yeah, I was, about to, I was about to, yeah, I was about to touch on that a little bit too, like and they I don't think, speak on it. Yeah, I, I, I think that piece that right there. Yeah, that piece right there. And then also just like at the end of the day, a lot, most AFAB people have compounded trauma from being black girls, period. I don't care if you a cis woman or not, a trans man or not, if you black girlhood, trauma. <laughs> the way the black girls are, are, are vulnerable, period. That's trauma. Mm-hmm. For me, I have more privilege in my day to day, right? Like I know, you know, I just, I can navigate just moving around, whatever. And then a lot of the folks I know in my personal experience, like, again, I'm not from the South. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not from the East coast. I'm from the Midwest. And so a lot of guys in my personal life, you know, folks are just kind of get trying to hurry up and get in, get out, go where they got to go, not cost too much attention to themselves because they don't want to be in a situation. That's my experience, right? Um, and so, yeah, there's that. Um, I will say as a cis assumed woman in the world who was gender non-conforming, who was clearly a lesbian, who was clearly a dyke, who was clearly butch, <laughs> you know, that was because I wasn't feminine. So there was a whole set of things to navigate with that. But, you know, if I got pulled over by the police, they might go, oh, you have titties. Oh, okay, little lady. Because then coming to that car, assuming I'm a black man who's cis, right? And so they come in with more fire. Actually, as someone who was gender nonconforming, kind of butch, I got out of a lot of situations when people thought they were approaching a black man. And that was a privilege. I will say that. Um, yeah, Diamond. Let me say this. Also, I don't know about nobody else's hood, but in my hood, the studs didn't get bothered on a certain level, they can walk around in their in their baggy pants yep. and the niggas won't fuck with them. Like mm-hmm. they could be cool. But let a butch, a butch queen or a tranny walk past. Yes. And I'm saying yep. that saying tranny because that's what they would yeah. call. Baby, they are going up, they're reading, throwing bottles, oranges, tomatoes, the boo, 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 boo. But that should <laughs> can tip around. Late. And that, that's one of our homeboys. He just used to be a girl. Yep. She yep. like she like pussy like I do. They and I'm not saying that this is across the board because I yep. have seen studs be harassed when I know folks in the hood that got their ass with because they can't move out the hood. And right. Yeah. I've, I've seen studs um, 
when they are dating girls that the dudes want, when they are catch um getting um Ooh. girls that they like. I I've seen them come up against them in that way. But I'm talking about just walking down the street, not doing yeah. nothing, doing their thing. I didn't see in that way studs being harassed in the same way butch queens get harassed in the same way um not passable trans women get harassed absolutely it just it just didn't in in my experience in my where i grew up i definitely and i feel like it came with a privilege definitely no that's definitely thank you for pointing that out that's definitely (laughs) in that context absolutely yeah that that's definitely a thing and i think to the point i was mentioning earlier about learning from gay men who are cis because of that, because I was a gay person, because I was a lesbian, because I was visibly a gay girl, right? Mm-hmm. So when I was around my people, yeah, for the most part, folks were like, whatever, you know what I'm saying? Because to your point, Diamond, folks were like, oh, you know, whatever. I always been a tomboy. It is what it is. Because I, we, again, gender for us is not in the social construct. We have a whole different governance structure than what white folks have. And, and I think people get that confused because American Africans don't speak a different language. They don't think we have a different culture. It's like to the same extent that other folks do because they speak other languages. That's my personal opinion. And so, but our, our culture is drastically different in many ways around social norms and what's acceptable and all that kind of bullshit and values. But um, yeah, that's definitely one of them. And I do learn a lot from, from gay men who are cis about getting their ass whooped and how to navigate looking kind of faggy in the world uh, and the bullshit that comes with that. Because I have no idea. I'm just used to the other shit, which is sometimes let it slide or depending on like you said i've had situations where i've had a partner and dudes that i worked with who considered themselves super woke and went to the men's ally session will still try to talk game to the person they know i'm with because they look more appealing to the male gaze the cis heterosexual male gaze but they know we together in my face it's to put you in your place Mm -hmm. yeah because i'm gonna put you and her in the place both of y'all yeah now this is before at the same time too right Right. I do. I do think it's different for trans guys than butch folks. When I made that comment about knowing folks getting their ass whooped, that's not about butch women. That's about trans guys who never left their neighborhoods, who transition and live in the same area. I've seen guys get their ass whooped. Okay. And that's different. That's a different thing than kind of the general hood, general gist of what you're talking about, Diamond, around being a stud. You know, that's a different, it's a, it, that's where those nuances happen. And that's why Marshall's Play is such a good place to have this conversation. Because when folks have these conversations, it's usually either this or that, white space, that, you know, becomes kind of very like this or that. And for us as Black people, the shit is it's way more nuanced. It's way, way, way more nuanced for folks in your day to day. You could be on college campus and then you come home for the summer or the weekend or whatever, and now you're back in the hood. So people are, it can be a mind fuck, you know? Um, anyway, well, let us know what you think. Um, talk about the privileges uh, and these different intersections. What have been your experiences? You know, let us know your thoughts. Um, yeah, let us know. Hashtag Marshall's Plate. You know, we getting into the nitty gritty over here. You know what I'm saying? We <laughs> let us know, hashtag Marshall's Plate. Gimme, gimme, gimme euphoria, more than peace of mind. It's the joy in space to change the tide. Gimme, gimme, gimme euphoria, more than peace of mind. It's the joy in space to change the tide. Gimme, gimme, gimme you a feeling and the high can never come. So.
What is bringing y'all euphoria this week? I currently already talked about it. My knickknacks and whatnots, doodads and whatnots in my house. (laughs) All the things that I have been finding at Ross and Marshall's and, you know, to get my house all fancy. Like I already showed y'all my, um, my tray. That is the most beautiful thing this week. Um, and yeah, that's what's bringing me joy. So what's bringing you joy, Mia? I, I got at the damn house. Like I've been in for a minute doing self-care stuff. <laughs> and so I just getting at the house, being, um, uh, being around people, um, just being authentically trans, whether I got clocked or not. I was in my, I I was making sure that I had a good time. Not like trying to make trying to make it as normal as I possibly could to, so that I could enjoy the spaces that I was in. And that was my euphoria. Minding my motherfucking business. Have oh, that's fun. fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh my euphoria this week, I think I mentioned earlier the rain. It rained here and it hasn't rained in a long time. It's been kind of hot, like the weather's been kind of funky. Um, but it was just really refreshing to see clouds because they don't really get like cumulus clouds that I'm used to in the middle. Like the air is different out here because it's closer to the uh, ocean. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it just looks different. Um, but yeah, it was something, I don't know, something about the rain and the, and, you know, they don't really get storms. So it was something about it that just felt uh, tranquil. Yeah, yeah. I took a walk. It was light rain. You know, I still have the trauma from girlhood with my perms and not getting my hair wet. But, but, you know, um, you know, it is it is what it is. So I I dared, you know, walk around with nothing old covering my head for a little bit. Then I quickly started having some because I just it's like an automatic you know, <laughs> muscle memory and shit. You know, conditioning. Conditioning. Exactly. conditioning yes. <laughs> right. Well, Roll over money for the A J U S just for me. J U S T F R M E. Okay. PCJ. Come on, just for me, baby. Okay, all that. So that, that costs money. Don't let us go to the salon and have me <laughs> spend this real money. Have you sitting oh no. Um, but anyway, that's been my euphoria this week is just, you know, getting that fresh air. You know, the smell is just fresh. The freshness mm. of it. Um, it was right on time. It brought a lot of euphoria for me this week. Uh, and I got a little bit of sun. You see, I got a little tan. I've been extra chocolatey this week. So that's some yes. euphoria too for the sun. <laughs> extra chocolate. Well, thank y'all for listening this episode. Um, Make sure you share with us what you are, what's bringing you euphoria. Hashtag March of Play. And I think we done. Have a wonderful day, (laughs) y'all. Peace, (laughs) y'all. Bye, y'all. Well, that's it. Thank you for coming and getting a taste of Marsha's Plate. You can listen to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Make sure you leave a review because we really need those five stars, y'all. And go like our Facebook page and leave some comments. We will be posting exclusive content every Thursday, so you definitely don't want to miss out. You can also follow us on Twitter and any other social media site at Marsha's Plate. If you'd like to donate or advertise with us, hit us up at diamondstyles at gmail.com. That's diamond, S-T-Y-L-Z, at gmail.com. And that's it for us, y'all. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. You going to say bye, Mia? Oh, bye, (laughs) (laughs) y'all. Every little thing's going to be all right. Don't you worry about a thing. Baby, it's a thing.